It's the pork and feed the birds. Here's what I like to do. I like to acknowledge at the start of the podcast that I record on unceded Indigenous lands to pay respects to elders on that land, past and present, and to assert that it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. Um, that's what we do in this house. If you don't like to do that, please leave this house and never talk to me or my son again. This American Life 2, I'm your estranged husband, Tom Tanicky. Rest in peace to David Graeber, anarchist legend, thinker. Um, I, I tried to pay my respects to him in my most recent uh, conclusion to my two-part Q&A video, which hopefully you've checked out if you haven't already. Rest in peace also to Toots Hibbert, that's uh, a pressure drop that you can hear in the background there. Reggae legend, actually the guy who came up with the term reggae, 1968. Today... It's Sex Worker Pride Day, and I thought we'd acknowledge the occasion um, by speaking to a couple of sex workers for what I hope is a little bit of a sex work 101. I know those things abound. Um, it's not as though that you you know you can't hear the, the basics uh, anywhere and everywhere, but. Um, good opportunity to acknowledge the occasion I thought I would like you to look now and after that you're done with the episode in the description uh, there's a link to where you can contribute to a Scarlet Alliance fund relief fund for sex workers struggling during COVID some of them are doing very tough and if you want to know why well that's where the 101 on this episode comes in um, so, yeah, so I spoke to Anita and Lily and I had a grand old yarn with them and I learned a fair bit. Hopefully you will too. Hey, so I'm here with Anita and Lily who are both sex workers. Isn't that right, Anita and Lily? Yes. G'day, I'm Lily. It's not a very good way to introduce someone, like in saying, isn't that right? Then means yeah. that you just have to go, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Anita and Lily. Hi, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Tom. Tomorrow, or oh, September the 14th, is uh, Sex Worker Pride Day, isn't it? Damn it straight. is. What are you most proud of about sex work in 2020 then? I'm proud that I've managed to get myself in a position to really look after myself through this pandemic. Like I'm really happy personally that I had the opportunity to not worry too much about, you know, paying my rent or affording groceries because my job, you know, gave me a little bit of a savings account, which not everybody has in Australia with so many people, yeah. you know, working two casual jobs and not being yeah. able to put anything away. Obviously not the fault of those people. It's the fault of casualization, the minimum wage and all of that. But I'm really yeah. happy I could get myself in that position. I feel lucky. When we say the sex worker in 2020, what what trades do we mean? 
has sex work ground to a standstill due to COVID? Is it just only fans now? <laughs> what, what is it? Yeah, the, the sex worker umbrella is quite diverse. Um, and yeah, like mm. you said, with online, like it's it's constantly expanding. Um, so I guess um, sex work is like, you know, it includes full service work, dominatrix work, stripping, topless waitressing, uh, sugar babies, porn, phone sex work, and then you've got the online work, which is like camming, um, selling content like OnlyFans. There's actually quite a yeah. lot of online content platforms at the moment. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of us have moved online. Like we haven't really, yeah, it's just been the only option right now. Do you share the frustrations of some people online towards, say, you know, given that um, – for example, OnlyFans is a viable alternative, one of the only viable alternatives for, for I imagine, for, for many sex workers. Do you share some of those frustrations around um, celebrities uh, wading in with their buckets of money to something like OnlyFans and effectively, wow. you know, sort of misusing the platform and getting the platform changed? Yeah, Bella Thorne sucks. Sucks. Yeah. Because she, she really it. stuffed it up for so many women. I personally don't have OnlyFans or do anything online, but to my understanding, she just stuffed it up for everybody because she put limits on the amount of money that you can make because she just scammed everybody. Because mm, she was charging uh, extortionate amounts and getting the money in droves, like two hundred dollars plus to get DMs from uh, to send a DM. Yeah, so to, it's like for pay per view um, content, um, people pay you money. So I think her pay per view was like two hundred dollars, and she said it was going to be full nude, but then it was basically nothing. So now they've limited limited it to like fifty dollars which once they take out their fees and you pay taxes that's about thirty dollars and if your pay-per-view is usually something like you know sucking someone's dick and you don't necessarily want to sell that for thirty dollars you're kind of stuffed now with you're pretty limited in what you're going to sell that's my understanding yeah right Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, OnlyFans themselves said, oh, it wasn't just her. But you imagine that in large in large part it's, you know, she's not the only celebrity with a pre-existing huge profile that she's waded into OnlyFans to capitalise on that. So you know, she's not the only one. I imagine it is the effect of those people doing that that's actually made it harder for, for say, you know, uh, actual sex workers transitioning into that kind of work. Like, it must be pretty fucking hard. Before that, though, because we were having discussions about it on Salome Circle, which is like, um, you know, a group that we all, we talk about sex worker stuff. We were saying how OnlyFans were freezing some girls' accounts, I think, or like not letting you pull out money. So you could have like three grand in there and then they'd freeze it and you'd never see that money. You know, you're trying to sell your online content and you've got platforms like PayPal withholding your money because um yeah like if you're seem to be selling sexual services via paypal um they consider that to be illegal on their platform yeah, a lot of the sex workers on there are for very understandable reasons particularly ones who sell like full service as you say like in person stuff and uh, very protective of their identity online. Making that transition out of necessity, mind you, into doing, say, OnlyFans work obviously involves you having to, you know, remove those 
requirements. And that must be a huge, is, it, is, that, is that a problem that sex workers are facing? That's one of those things where if you're going to do online work, you just have hmm. to bite the bullet and accept that. Like I don't do online work because, um, you know, the career I want ahead of me after sex yeah. work, I do need to keep it underground, which is, you know, my yeah. choice and totally fine. Other women mm. don't see a problem with that. They are totally fine having their face out and, you know, power to them. They can make a lot of money. Um, totally, yeah. But I think it's one of those things where if you want to keep your anonymity, you either, you know, wear a belly and, like, do, like, a really staunch online thing and hide your face mm. or just show your face and be okay with everybody seeing it. You have to be okay with your parents seeing it, your future employers seeing it. It's the internet. It's always going to be there. People are going to record that and put that online. Yeah, we've had, yeah, some of our members have reported like um, people screenshotting their photos and content and sharing them around. It was such a, you know, a quick transition to online work like we weren't prepared we weren't really thinking about the consequences um of like essentially being outed people would not have necessarily thought about that before going into it there's some things you just have to do especially if you're like if you don't necessarily have a visa here and you can't just get another job or you can't access Centrelink. So many girls would have to be pushed to do stuff that they necess- wouldn't have been comfortable with pre-pandemic. We know that people have uh, loved to, to share, um, you know, compromising material that they don't have the right to share of, of, of women since time immemorial online. But um, And just people uh, sharing content and then slagging the sex workers. Like I've seen a lot of that as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Especially from incels, that's a big thing. Wasn't there that incel anti-sex worker blog that was basically all about doxing sex workers? There's probably been a few of those. There was also that big movement, like last year, with incels trying to report cam girls to the, like, bro, sex workers pay their taxes. We're in 2019, 2020. <sighs> On more of a positive note with online work, just quickly, I have seen a lot more people like sex workers, non-sex mm. workers, male consumers being more positive with like, yeah, Pornhub just steals porn. You should pay for your porn. There's no big deal. This is normal. We should move over it here. And like, don't be a simp or like an incel and sell somebody's stuff or try and get it for free. Just buy their OnlyFans and do it the normal way. Like there, I feel like there is a shift in the way people are consuming. I think the stuff about Pornhub, though, is like half and half because there's some valid concerns. Yeah, they do just steal porn most of the time and you should pay for your porn. On the other hand, you've got that whole QAnon save the children aspect of like let's shut down Pornhub, mm. if that makes sense. So some of the information coming out of it is a bit like conspiracy propaganda, QAnon stuff, but then there's also valid concerns. So just be a bit mindful with Yeah, totally. There, or who it is that's doing the arguing because there is a there is that kind of yeah, um, sexual that. puritanism that comes into some of it, hey? Yeah, especially if it's radical feminists as well, being like all porn is awful. Like, no, we're humans, we like porn, just, you know, consume it ethically. So, so you mentioned radical feminists. This is something we wanted to get onto. Okay, so... Here it is. For my ignorant ass outsider point of view, there's two 
popular, very broadly too popular approaches to sex work. And one is about, I suppose, the liberty of people to to do it, to partake in it, you know, to, to do that as a trade. And, you know, that approach focuses on things broadly like decriminalisation of sex work, the rights of sex workers, uh, legitimising sex work in the eyes of society, you know, things like that. And so that's one approach. And then there's broadly another, I think, which focuses on the harm. And this is where you're talking about radical feminists, you know, the harm, real or imagined, that comes with sex work. And that's popular with the radfems, also conservatives and the like, and Puritans, because its agenda is often to try to delegitimise or outright ban or stop sex work. Yeah, I think yeah. I'd agree with those two. Broad ideas. I think also, though, there are. I've also seen people on the very far left who oppose mm, sex work. Okay. Which sort of, you've got like you know general lefties who are a bit more, oh, libertarian for lack yeah. of a better word, a much much better word. Um, but then you've got people who like their argument is if we were to become a communist utopia, sex work wouldn't exist because they think it's exploitative, and then they just you know go back to that really puritanical view that nobody would do sex work if they didn't have to or that it's not a necessary part of society, which I think arguably it is a necessary necessary part of society. Is Do you think that that, that idea towards it is, is underpinned by the trope that, that it's fundamentally something that people do because they're in trouble or they're unhappy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sex <laughs> yeah. work is what you do when you're damaged. I think it's that. I think it's also just like the idea of sexual deviancy that we've held onto for way too many decades and the idea that sex is a, like a bad or a dirty thing. It's, you know, like you said, it's the puritanical views yeah. of sex, things that we need to move past. Is harm minimization something that can be combined with, I suppose, the libertarian perspective? I think that radical feminist idea of harm is almost entirely imagined. Me and Lily were actually talking about untamable shrews last night and how we're both blocked from like their Instagrams and stuff. So I don't even know what they're up to now. But, you know, there are, I guess, harms that come with sex work, just like any industry. And if it's treated like any other industry, then there's protections in place to minimise those harms. If we push it underground, that just exacerbates every single possible harm. And that's what radical feminists want. They want to push it underground. They think that they can get rid of it for some reason. They can't. It's the oldest profession. It's always going to be around. We just need to minimise the harm. And the idea that it's anything to do with sex trafficking as well is just pretty appalling and misinformed because the more... You know, the more we lift sex work out of the underground and in, you know, normal society and we treat it like any other job, it's a lot easier to pick out somebody who is being trafficked because they're going to be in a much different situation to someone who's in a legal brothel, for example, and who's registered as a sex worker. You mentioned, actually, you mentioned untamable shrews before. It's a name I hadn't heard for a while. So I think um, uh, for the people at home. So they're a bunch of rad fans uh, from Melbourne. Um, yeah, they're very anti-sex work. So they actually were going around 
uh, plastering flyers and stickers on uh, sex work premises saying how, you know, our work is bad and exploitative. Um, and they also were posting stickers on clients' cars saying, um, what were they saying? I think it was something like this car yeah. has been at a brothel or something like that. But it so easily could have gone onto the back of a girl's car yeah. who then gets outed because she hasn't noticed yeah. it's there. And, you know, yeah. it's essentially taking away sex worker incomes by doing this because clients are going to be too paranoid to go to a brothel if they're going to get targeted as well. So they are just creating more harm for sex workers by doing this. And their idea of sex is just totally skewed, like like the idea of consent, right? Their whole idea that sex work is just being raped for money because if they if women weren't being paid, they wouldn't have sex. I could decide that I don't want to have sex with somebody unless they wear a condom. Yeah. In that case, my consent is conditional. That doesn't mean my consent is by any means not consent anymore. It is consent. It just has a condition to it. If that person takes off that condom, that is you know, rape now. Legally, yeah. it's rape. If that person raped me without a condom and their argument was that it wasn't rape because I would have had sex with them if they did, that doesn't make sense either. You know, we're, we're very clear on the idea that cons- um, consent can have conditions and that's exactly what sex work is. It's consensual sex with the condition of yeah. payment. Yeah. It's really not that confusing and the other thing is too their idea of sex as something that happens to women rather than an act that two people engage in equally or more than two people Mm. you know what I mean whatever you're into but it's an act that two people engage in together it's not something that's done to women and their idea of sex is so puritanical it's just really outdated especially for feminists who you know Aren't we meant to be advocating for sexual equality, I guess? I remember a Women's Day march in Melbourne a couple of years back and at that event, uh, I wasn't there on the day. I was going to be going. Something happened. I wasn't able to attend. And then I was told by through the event that sex workers were kind of ostracised at the rally by some people who were organising it. Were either of you there or can you tell me what happened there? I remember like on the list of demands on like their Facebook page because every year the Women's March have like a list of demands and they had discluded like the, the what is it, decriminalisation of sex work and other years they've had that on there. So it had to have been a conscious decision yeah, to take it out. Yeah, why is that suddenly not there? It couldn't have been like, oh, we just yeah. forgot about it. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people kicked up a fuss on their Facebook. Eventually the group were like, okay, we can add something about sex work, but it was really roundabout, like sex work. Sex workers shouldn't be discriminated against or mm. something like that. And everyone was like, no, we want sex work to be decriminalised. It's not that hard. You can just put that up there. And there was a back and forth a few times of this group just not wanting to put that there. I think they eventually did, but it was just quite illuminating that they really didn't want to do it. It shows what they really think about it. And I guess it's quite well known that like a lot of the more organised feminist groups in Melbourne are 
radical feminists, so they're terse and they're swerfs. I think, I think at the end of the day, it's just, we're just frustrated because, you know, like, they're not listening to the voices of sex workers. It's just their opinion. At the end of the day, that's just what it is. Like, how can you help women but literally ignore them and probably tell them to shut up and tell them that they don't know any better? That's paternalistic. That's infantilizing women. That's not what feminism should be about. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure the suffragettes were like white supremacists. So what can we really expect? <laughs> yeah, it's a little, you know what, it's it's a little bit like the trope, the old trope of the, 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 the client of the sex worker who wants to save the sex worker by freeing them from the tyranny of sex work. <laughs> this is kind of like that, this whole rad film approach to sex work, except for the rad films aren't fucking paying you. Yeah. Also, like, if you're going to talk about exploitation, like, we live in such a neoliberal world, what, what job do you work that you're not being exploited in? I think I'd rather be exploited where I've got, like, yeah. you know, my own hours that I can choose and I'm making more money rather than waking, making under minimum wage because I'm doing unpaid, like, mm. overtime plus wage theft on top of that. And if you talk about women in developing countries... Like, how are you going to go up to a sex worker and say, hey, you should get out of this oppressive exploitation of sex work and go liberate yourself by working in a sweatshop instead? Yeah, much better. Much better. That's what we like in 2020. There's actually, I can't remember if it was Bangladesh necessarily, but there was a, a like a city where all the sex workers unionised and they did really, really well. And their whole idea was like, hey, stop saying we don't want to do this just because we're in a developing country. We're making money. We're happy. We're doing fine. We just want to be protected. And now every single case of, like, assault or rape or anything in that city, whether you're a sex worker or not, the police will go after it because they just made a – they kicked up a fuss every single time police ignored it. So they raised up, like, the – they raised up all women in that city. They can't have done that. They need me to save them. They need me over here <laughs> yeah, right? to decry their poor brown lack of rights so that I can then save them. Isn't that how it works? Well, that's, that's what clients tell us. I think that's how it works, yeah. I think that's it. So who knows? Yeah. But again, at least the clients are paying yeah. you for the for the honor of you know what I mean? Like at least you're getting per hour rate for that honor of like playing out this fantasy of like being saved or what have you. Like maybe the Red Kavims could pay a certain yeah, you're right. money, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they could continue their narrative as long as they pay up. Four hundred dollars an hour to yeah. pretend that you're saving me. <laughs> I love this. This is good. We're coming up with policies on here, you know. <laughs> Speaking of decriminalisation, obviously it got taken off the um, the thing for the Women's Day March. Very sus, very red them. What the? Tell us what the right take is. Are we wholly in favour of decriminalisation? Are there different models of decriminalisation? What's the right take? I would say full decriminalisation. It's a normal job, just like everything else. If it was fully decriminalised and we took away the stigma, it'd be a lot safer. Yeah, for yeah. We believe, like you know, sex work should be addressed and legalised, just like any other work. Once you ban something, um, you know, the perception around it's going to be negative, um, and it's going to just continually, continually influence the stigma and discrimination that comes with it. But then, if it was legalised, it was completely decriminalised. Then you yeah, what would anyone have to save you from, you know? <laughs> yeah, what would the rad fans yeah, do? I know. I've understood that Fiona Patton 
uh, MP, leader of the Reason Party. It's formerly the Sex Party. At one point, I know she led an inquiry into decriminalisation and sex work. Is is that right? Can you tell me about that? At the moment, she. This was in June or July this year. We um, they were all doing. We were all doing submissions to um, mm-hmm. submit yeah. to Fiona around decriminalisation mm. in Victoria. So in Victoria, um, we're not decriminalised. Um, mm. Sex work is regulated. It's it's legal, but it's only legal in certain areas. So uh, brothel work is legal, um, but street work is not legal. You have to register yourself as a sex worker if you want to work independently, and obviously this has a lot of issues. Like, you know, you've got to use your real name to register yourself. Your name goes online, and we don't know where that goes. Yeah, okay. Um, there's just a lot of there's there's a lot of rules around the current laws in Victoria, and they're just very harmful for sex workers. Um, mm. And yeah, we just believe that decrim is the only way to eradicate these harms. So basically um, decrim, it's only been passed in New South Wales and the Northern Territory, which was recent last year. And Yeah, each state is different, so it's just really confusing for sex workers as well just because there's no, like, transparency between the states and the laws. Each state is definitely pushing for decrim. Um, So I think Fiona's submitting... The submission to the government, um, I think it's due late September. Mm-hmm. So we should hopefully hear something soon about it. Um, so can we talk a little bit about uh, support organisations um, like Scarlet Alliance for workers? What, what what do they do for sex workers? So Scarlet, um, they're the national peak organisation for sex workers. They're completely peer-run, so all sex workers Um, and they basically just you know they they do a lot they're amazing they advocate Mm. for the rights and safety uh, and well-being of all sex workers and also in this time like they're running a relief fund for sex workers so if anyone's interested in donating um, I think you can just if you go to their website there should be a link I will be putting the link to that in the description for this episode. So it'll just be one click away for anyone who has a couple of clams spare that they'd like to chuck at that um, because, um, you know, God knows there's a lot of sex workers who need a bit of support, um, uh, peer or community support this year because it's a little bit difficult to to certainly get it from the government in 2020 for a yeah, lot of sex Yeah, and the workers. government aren't helping sex workers right now. Yeah, we were a bit worried at one point that they were going to try and just not open up strip clubs and brothels again because at the first, like, roadmap, like the federal one, at the very end of it when everything else was opened, there was a little clause saying except for strip clubs and brothels. So even if the the lockdown eases up in Victoria, for example, they're not going to be reopened. Well, I think that we made a bit of noise about that because now in every single other state, brothels and strip clubs are open. So maybe they've just got into a safe enough spot. Um, but, yeah, at first I think we just got angry enough about it that they changed the rules because it just didn't come from any evidence. Like your like human contact is so much more restricted in a strip club than in a nightclub and, you know, having sex with somebody at a brothel, it's probably going to be a lot more health conscious than a Tinder date potentially. 
So it just didn't really make much sense. Didn't come from health advice. It just came from the idea that sex work is dangerous or dirty. Yeah, it's all around the misconceptions, I think. You know, maybe they think that we're seeing, you know, hundreds of clients at a time when, you know, in fact, the reality is we'll see a few you know, every few days or something. But I understand beyond that that the government introduced some early, I mean, this may have been an earlier on in the pandemic thing, but introduced some very specific laws that applied to sex work, like some very specific, very large fines that in place for sex workers. Um, was that right? What were they? Oh, yeah. Wasn't it like $20,000 if you were caught soliciting? But like every single time was like, a police officer making the, um, like the call or whatever it is. Like if girls were advertising, a cop calls up to hire her and then charges her 20K, which is totally entrapment. Yeah, absolutely. And just to confirm, so if I go on Tinder and I hook up with someone and I go over there and I get caught, that's $1,600. But if I'm doing it um, to feed myself, then that's $20,000. There's actually reports from sex workers um, who advertise online reporting that, you know, they've had undercover police trying to book them for jobs. Oh, so they're actually they're actively out there trying to entrap people right now. Yeah, I think, yeah, the focus, you know, it's, yeah. it's on policing right now. It's, it's not about uh, what sex workers want. It's just around policing sex workers. You know what you do when you have a problem in society? You introduce a fine and you get police to go <laughs> and give you that fine. And that fixes the underlying problem. That's what I've learned this year. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a sex worker would have issues at the best of times applying to, like, go on to something like Job Seeker, given the mountains of prerequisite paperwork on employment history that that entails, I imagine, depending on the particular kind of sex work that someone does. And, you know, the government's uh, related approach to a lot of that sex work. That must have been really hard for sex workers who found themselves without any money during coronavirus. So I guess, yeah, like there's been many sex workers who haven't been able to access government benefits um, so, the, you know, there's a lot of migrant workers who don't qualify and then you've got others with, you know, external barriers that prevent them from accessing the benefits. So, like, for example, a lot of sex workers, we want to remain private. Um, we don't want our job, you know, being outed because of the consequences that come with it. So, you know, yeah. listing our job on a government application, um, it's just not really... A great idea but you know if we can't also we don't get pay slips for our work so a lot of the time it's yeah. hard to prove our income mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah with these like you know it's just hard for us um to apply for centrelink like how do you apply when you can't write down your job or prove your income girls who did have like um who were down as sole traders or independent contractors and paying their taxes so they've got accountants that can write letters for them instead of an employer because obviously we're our own employer mm-hmm. pretty much, um, had access to JobKeeper. Okay, right. But you needed to have had your own ABN. So, and- yeah, basically. So if you're doing it all like very much 
all paperwork and stuff, then sorry, that was really bad English. <laughs> if you've got it down in a legit way, then we had access to JobKeeper. But if there was any kind of tiny barrier, which is, you know, a big thing with sex work, then I guess it was a bit hard to access yeah. stuff. The process of applying to Centrelink is is quite difficult in general for anyone, let alone like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Having the additional barriers. Not to mention like a lot of younger sex workers. If you're under 22, then you can't even really get Centrelink. And there's so many sex workers between the ages of 18 and 22. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about people who face um, uh, barriers to getting government assistance. They've obviously got, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's policing measures designed to stop them from accessing the work that feeds them. As obvious, you know, and that's surrounded with all the other issues that people have been facing throughout the health. I mean, what other kinds of stories have you been hearing back from sex workers during the pandemic? It's mainly, yeah, like a lot is around financial hardship, Um you know, I've had a lot of members reaching out um, for help around material aid because they're not, you know, being able to afford food, um, mm. rent. Um, and then also there's like, you know, the other issue of like impl- applying for other employment during this time. So, you know, we don't know when our workplaces are going to open. So some of us are like, okay, maybe we should try and find another job. Um but I guess what a lot of us don't think about is gaps in our resume. So, you know, a lot of us just don't feel like we can list our work on resumes. So this this creates another barrier of, you know, trying to find a square job in a sense um, because, you know, <laughs> if you do put your, your job on a resume, you might face discrimination. But if you don't put your job on there, they'll ask you why there's a gap and I guess that's another thing as well like you know of accessing um getting money like we can't really it's hard for us to apply for square jobs as well yeah 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 and so I mean has you know has the government so these are a bunch of issues that a bunch of set workers fight has the government really addressed any of this stuff in any meaningful way as far as you know have they opened up the criteria for say job seeker has, have you seen anything like that any concession to the livelihoods of people who've you know uh, employed through sex work not really like it's mainly been support from I guess a lot of migrant workers have seek support from Red Cross. Mm. Um, community groups and stuff have been helping, but not not the government. It's all it's all you know peer support groups uh, and community groups that are helping us right now, especially international students who are in sex work, because they've got you know they've got to pay uni up front. They have all of these co- um, costs on top, and now they have absolutely zero financial support. I think they got a payment of like a thousand dollars, which the Greens fought really hard mm. to push through. Yeah, and there was a payment through study Melbourne. Now? Yeah, and I think that was about a one a one payment of about a grand. I suppose this is where the relief fund that we talked about earlier can come in. I mean, that is, that's there for assisting sex workers struggling during COVID. Is that right? Yeah. So Scarlet aren't taking any of that money themselves. It's going directly to sex workers. So if you're a sex worker and you're in need of money, um, just head to the Scarlet Alliance page and you can apply through there. 
that's really important, you know, and a really important part of why we've had this conversation and something that I'd really hope that people would chuck a bit of money in. I did say myself when it first came out, I shall hope to do so again, um, you know, coinciding with um, the release of this episode on, on, on Sex Work and Pride Day. <laughs> and um, I, I'd ask that everyone listening do the same themselves. And also, if anyone's interested um, in line with Sex Worker Pride Day tomorrow, uh, a lot of sex workers have banded together um, to create a, a fundraising night. So it's called Glory Hole and it's a night of sex worker stories. So you'll be hearing about all the ins and outs, excuse the pun, of sex work. <laughs> Um, and, yeah, all this money will be going towards sex workers. So we'll also plug that link as well. Amazing. Is that an online event? Yeah, it is. And I'll make sure to put that as well as the relief fund and links to Scarlet Alliance um, uh, into the description. Anita, Lily, anything else to plug? Support your local sex yeah. workers when we open up again. Yeah, support your local sex workers. Yeah, Not, you, they don't need you to save them. They need you no, to support them. They need you to pay us. Yes, go to the strip club with your mates as soon as we open up. It's really fun. Watch a show. They're brilliant. Pay them, you fucking dogs. Yeah, pay them. Even if you don't have much money, even if you come in with like $20 worth of $5 notes because the pandemic's hit you hard too, if you sit on stage and tip a few girls, we will be happy with that. But also, if you've got more money, that's up. the thing that a lot of people don't realise is we don't get paid a wage. Um, you know, we work as subcontractors, and we're paying a fee every night to work at the clubs. And you know, a, a lot of clients. Is that just, how it works? I, I see. I'm so ignorant. Okay, yeah. so you go along to a strip club. You're paying a fee to be there. Yeah. So every night we pay a fee, um, and this is you know between around fifty to one hundred and twenty dollars a night. Uh, mm, we don't get right. any minimum wage. So essentially, we start the night, you know, in the negatives. We don't have any guarantee that we're going to make that money back. A lot of nights we might not make it back. And so a lot of customers complain that, you know, we just want their money and they're supporting the strip clubs and by buying drinks and entering into the venue. And it's like, well, no, you're not supporting the girls by doing that. Like we work off Mm. tips. So, yeah, I guess just for people that, you know, attend clubs and stuff, be mindful of that, like, tip your girls it'll make their night thank you so much anita lily for your time i really really appreciate it it's been an illuminating yarn it's been a fun yarn and um uh... i have a quick thing to mention before we wrap up though do you know what financial yeah. domination is yes because <laughs> you've sort of i think you've misunderstood it in your patreon a little bit I know. I want, I want you to know I got it the wrong way around. A little it's, bit. Yeah, it's kind was, of funny. Yeah, I know because I thought it would be funny. I thought it might be empowering for someone, <laughs> <laughs> for someone considering dominating me. You know, it's Danielle, it doesn't work like that. I understand. It's actually the other way around. But I thought it might be empowering for someone to, to conceive of the relationship as being them the one in 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 in, in power there, dude. <laughs> but I, I, hey, look. Um, 
but it's but it's not the actual right way around. Can you explain financial domination as it actually is for everyone listening? You used to, I might lose Patreons because of this because people were like, "Hang on, I I am being cucked here. I'm not the one doing the cucking." Yeah, we're the subs. We're literally, you know, subscribers, but also submissives. So financial domination is when you like a dominatrix dominates a submissive by making the submissive pay them money. Uh, except for in the instance of, of um, Tom Tanaki's of Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 which is like very much I am just being, you know, railroaded. I am being bullied around, domineered, um, uh, told what to do by my Patreon. So it's very <laughs> empowering for them. It's the opposite in that case. <laughs> But anyway, don't worry about my Patreon. Don't worry about that. What I want everyone to do tomorrow <laughs> on Sex Worker Pride Day is to go and contribute to the Sex Worker Relief Fund. Um, so if everyone could pop under there, get into the description, go and chuck some claims there, please. That is far more important than my um, than financially dominating me. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time, um, Anita Lily. I really, really appreciate thank you. it. Thank you. Thanks, Tom.